Hey guys, it's been a little while. I hope everyone's doing good. I've had more than a few people reach out in the past little bit wondering what was up with the podcast and why I haven't put anything new up. The short version is that I hated everything I wrote. And since I've started this thing, I've written a lot. Between stuff I've aired and things I've half-written for future episodes, I'm almost exactly at the length of the classic novel Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's a lot in a few months, and it's hard to keep your edge. Lately, the stuff I've been trying to write about has led me down rabbit holes that are very research-intensive and don't have a lot of jokes in them. I've been trying to make definitive guides that cover every good point so you could listen to some comprehensive breakdown of a subject and come away knowledgeable. And, most importantly, I wouldn't stare off into the distance wondering why the hell I didn't include something when I thought about it afterwards. I've been letting perfect get in the way of good. That's fucking exhausting, and it's not fun. And that's not really what I want to do. I was telling someone about this last week and how everything has become totally unworkable. They said, why don't you just shelve these ideas for now and talk about some easier stuff in the meantime? And you know what? It was such an obviously great idea that it never even occurred to me until then. So, sit back and relax. This week should be pretty easy to digest, and it was a lot easier to write. And now, your number one source for what's happening in Canada today. From the mind that brought you 222 minutes, this is my 222 cents. Three, two, one. Young people these days are just the fucking worst. It's hardly news, but they're complaining again that they can't afford to buy houses. They complain about how expensive cars are. They'll point to some index or another that says that the average cost has gone up far past inflation in the past four or five decades. No shit. Unlike NDP voters, houses and cars have evolved. In classic millennial fashion, however, none of them ever want to take responsibility or address their unrealistic demands. Do you people remember what it was like to be in a car made in the 1970s? The only wiring was for the lights, alternator, spark plugs, radio, and cigarette lighter. You'd adjust the carburetor with a screwdriver. There were no airbags. There was no cruise control. There was no AC. All you had was that little triangle in the front of your window you'd open to deflect hot air outside into your face. They didn't always have power steering. There were no side impact crumple zones. They weren't reliable. Remember when the shoulder used to be called the breakdown lane? Nowadays, we look surprised when a car is abandoned on the side of the road for no obvious reason. Hell! Having windshield wipers that cover a large part of the windshield is still a relatively new and novel fucking idea. Nowadays, cars are infinitely more reliable, complicated, efficient, and safe. All that costs money, and it's a hell of a lot more money than what they save by discontinuing ashtrays. Surround sound with a touchscreen, Bluetooth capability, a microphone above the driver's head, satellite radio connectivity, an equalizer, voice command, and controls built into the steering wheel cost more to put into a car than AM radio with two dials, five piano key presets, 
and a couple tinny speakers you can't even hear at highway speeds, especially when you had those little triangles in the front of your window open. <sighs> now take that concept and apply it to every last feature in a vehicle. Power windows cost more than a crank, but you can't even buy cars with them anymore because nobody wants them. Adjustable seats aren't just for space shuttles anymore. Making the dashboard out of foam would be cheaper, but our tastes have evolved. None of us wants a dash that cracks like dried mud, even if it's a modest starter car that you're going to write off in two months anyway because you just got your license and you can't drive for shit. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting a nice modern vehicle. What I am saying is that you can't complain about how much harder it is for your generation versus the last one if you're not willing to strap yourself into a cast iron death trap that gets six miles per gallon, is going to rust away to nothing in five years, and has a harder time changing course than gun control lobbyists. Houses are the same thing, only turned way the fuck up. No one wants to take into account the difference in stage of life. These entitled assholes are comparing their starter homes to the places folks are retiring in and complaining about how unfair the world is. You snot-nosed dipshits need some fucking perspective. These people didn't grow up in fancy suburban McMansions with an underlit retaining wall backing onto a lake path where trophy wives jog around in sports bras and leggings. Lots of them started their lives in drafty farmhouses with none of the amenities we take for granted today, like fiberglass insulation, electricity, running water, or the English fucking language. Fast forward to houses we grew up in, and they're still fairly primitive. They were 1,000 square foot bungalows with a 60 amp main breaker, three bedrooms, one bathroom, linoleum, remember linoleum? shitty insulation, and they had more draft problems than the Vietnam War. Not only that, but it was usually built by the people who lived there and their neighbors. For the cost of a few pots of chili and a horse trough full of beer, you could get a lot of construction done in 1987. The average house a person in their 20s wants to buy nowadays didn't even exist 30 years ago. We slept three boys to a room when we weren't sitting around that plastic top kitchen table with the skinny metal legs or on the floral couch watching a 20-inch TV with snowy reception. The basement was never finished for two reasons. One, it saved cost. And two, it gave us a place to play hockey indoors. Have you people ever wondered why every old deep freeze you've ever seen looks like a boxy Dalmatian? It's because our parents had better things to spend money on than starter homes with theater rooms and a freezer makes a great goal. Now look, I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't buy, but if you're someone in your 20s, you'll have a lot easier time in life if you manage your expectations a bit and accept the fact that your entire life to date has only gotten you about halfway to owning a home with cathedral ceilings, heated floors, and a goddamned elevator. The city of Calgary put a new law on the books. It says that all of the electric ride-sharing scooters have to have Braille on them. Now, you're probably thinking, 222, obviously this isn't for them to drive the fucking things. The city isn't that stupid. Well, maybe? I mean, 
they're pretty fucking stupid. I'm getting tired of talking about them on here all the time, but they keep finding more new lows than Malaysian airplanes. And the braille is either so that blind people can operate motorized transport in pedestrian areas, or something slightly less intelligent than that. I guess the argument goes like this. If a blind person is walking around one of the largest urban centers in our country without a friend helping them, a seeing eye dog, or one of those tappy sticks, they might bump into or trip over a scooter. Then, when they're lying on the ground helpless with only cold cement to tell them which way is not up, they can fumble their fingertips around the entire scooter until they find the label plate, and then they'll know who to complain about. What in the Helen Keller fuck is wrong with these people? Now, I don't want to sound deaf to the problems of blind people, but this is dumb. If you're walking around a city in such a way that you're incapable of knowing what's in front of you, you've got a lot bigger things to worry about than scooters, and those things are called cars. So, if anyone from the city of Calgary is listening to this, please... For the love of God, stop. I appreciate the fact that you're always giving me new material, but I'm running out of adjectives for the word imbecile. Breaking news. Bill and Melinda Gates announce they are getting divorced. It's so refreshing to see more women becoming billionaires. One more thought. I'm not saying Melinda Gates is a bad person, but imagine being so tired of someone's shit that you pay them $64.45 billion just to fuck off. So Line 5 is set up to be shut down Wednesday, May 12th. I have thoughts. As I said in a previous episode, this pipeline terminates in Sarnia, Ontario, an area that voted overwhelmingly conservative in the last federal election, where it alone provides roughly half the petroleum products for Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Ontario, and fucking Quebec. So first off, I don't think this is going to be shut down. I feel like at the last possible moment, Trudeau is going to announce that he has reached a deal with the state of Michigan where we will pay access or provide funding for potential spill remediation, or some such bullshit that's just thinly veiled extortion. In classic Trudeau fashion, it's going to be a last-minute dramatic save with undisclosed costs where he tries to paint himself as Canada's savior as opposed to what he usually paints himself as, which is a black man. This is a bad idea. And the reason why it's a bad idea is because this problem is situated in such a way as to take care of itself with a little time. Why is that, you ask? Because that pipeline supplies roughly half of the petroleum products for Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Ontario, and fucking Quebec. Look, here's how it plays out. The pipeline gets shut down. Suddenly, the Sarnia refineries are at diminished capacity. They can't make enough petroleum products for Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Ontario, and fucking Quebec. Now, they have to decide what they're going to do. Broadly speaking, they can do one of two main things. They can spread the herd around to all the areas they service. 
Everyone's kind of mad and it doesn't change a whole lot except for the increased prices, which people will just eventually become numb to. Or they can decide which areas they sell to. And remember, they have limited production. Some of it will be offset at higher costs, which will trickle down to the consumer, but not all. Someone is going to be literally left out in the cold. So they don't sell to Michigan, because that's the state that literally cut out their supply and resulted in rampant, shout out to Catherine McKenna, job losses and economic devastation. Then, when the rest of Ontario comes to them and says, sell to us, we are Ontario. And I don't know if you know this, but we're a big deal. Because we're Ontario. They'll say, we all voted for a pipeline neutral party. You voted for the no more pipelines party. Sorry, bucko. We're all out. Then, when fucking Quebec comes to them saying, Ha ha ha. Can we have some, how you say, l'huile? They'll tell them to go fuck a croissant because those assholes were part of the reason why Energy East got abandoned. The little product they still are able to refine can be sold in Ohio and Pennsylvania where people aren't total dicks. Elections have consequences and it's high time some of the people making bad decisions were forced to live with their repercussions. It allows the refineries to still make some profit, but it serves a far more important function you're backing an entire part of Canada up against the wall. If that pipeline shuts down and stays shut down, a lot of folks are going to go hungry. But if you let the people who voted for this get the outcome they wanted, they'll be begging for it to be reopened. You get the same result as paying off the Green Mafia government in Michigan, but without paying off the Green Mafia government in Michigan. Is it a hard decision? Yeah. But voting liberal is like putting your hand on a hot stove and it's about time they were the ones who got burned. Elections have consequences. I talked about Calgary-based Providence Pharmaceuticals in a previous episode and how they got the cold shoulder from the Canadian government after reaching out to them about COVID vaccine manufacturing. Honestly, if this wasn't the time when our government should be working with a local pharmaceutical company, what is? Well, it turns out they're leaving Canada because of the unfriendly political environment. This liberal government is scaring away every industry that doesn't have inside connections, and it's just a matter of time until you see pictures of us on the fridges of our African sponsors. There's also been concerns about the safety of vaccines lately. I don't want to alarm anyone, but Caitlyn Jenner hasn't gotten her period once since she got vaccinated. It's also come out recently that one of the biggest contributing factors to COVID mortality is obesity. And before this gets flagged as spreading misinformation, this is literally from the CDC website. No wonder the states was hit so hard. If we're truly worried about vaccinating our most vulnerable first, why are we doing it by age and not body fat percentage? Canada Post had its worst year ever last year. According to a recent article by Blacklocks, they lost $2 million a day. Just think about that for a second. 
in a year where everyone is forced to stay at home and mail delivery was at an all-time high, they hemorrhaged money. Amazon had record profits. How in the antiquated Crown Corporation fuck do you think all those packages got delivered? The main problem is because they've got the government to bail them out every time they fuck up, their outcomes aren't married to the service they provide. Union representation takes away a lot of personal accountability within the company, but I've already talked about how shitty those parasites are in a previous episode. So, in a year where they've faced a perfect storm in terms of finally becoming a viable business, they shit the bed lying face down while other package delivery services had a banner year. I had a package delivered by Canada Post last spring. I saw the guy walk up to the step, turn around, and walk back into his van, then drive off. When I went to grab the mail, there was a sorry we missed you note that told me I had to go to the nearest Canada Post to pick up the package. The same package he didn't even have in his hand when he came to the door. So naturally, I called them up. I told them what happened. That the dude didn't want to be bothered with carrying the package a few feet and just dropped off the note instead. I told them that delivery to my door had been paid for and that they were obligated to fulfill the agreement they made with Amazon for the shipping. Basically, they told me they didn't give a fuck. I didn't pay for it, so they didn't answer to me. And if I wanted the package, I could come get it. So naturally, I called Amazon. Amazon was really apologetic about it, they said they've had this same complaint with Canada Post a lot lately and even gave me a gift card for my trouble despite the fact that the problem was not their fault. Fast forward a few short months and Canada Post doesn't deliver packages for them anymore. And the guy who didn't drop it off? I guarantee you he had no consequences. The customer service woman who nicely told me to get bent? No repercussions. If that happened at UPS or FedEx, I guarantee you there would have been fallout. They may not have been firing offenses, but you can't expect to stay open in a competitive market when the people on your team are being fuckwads. That's business 101. Don't be a fuckwad. And speaking of perfect storms, look at the CBC. We pay them over $1.3 billion a year on top of their minuscule advertising revenue. Again, covered in a previous episode. But they're still losing so much money that they needed an additional bailout of $21 million this year. After a year where the government told everyone they had to stay home and watch TV, the government TV companies still can't make a go of things. A team of Norwegian scientists in a hover lab with Swarovski test tubes couldn't make a more ideal scenario, and the CBC still fucked it up. Look at the quarantine camps the government has set up. A couple weeks ago, they accidentally let 1,400 passengers with COVID go home early. They had one job. And regardless of the validity of the quarantine camps, the fact is, is that their only directive was to keep people with COVID from getting the fuck out. And they screwed it up. And now the liberals are saying it's going to be another five years before they can get clean drinking water on our reservations. What's it going to take people? 
At what point can we finally say the government sucks at doing stuff and maybe they should just let the rest of us figure it out? I mean, aside from corruption, name one thing any government has ever actually made better or more profitable. Companies are typically good at one thing. It's what they make money at. They usually try to get as much of that business as they can and leave the other stuff to companies who are in turn good at other things. That's why companies are constantly doing what's called make-or-buy analysis of, well, literally everything. A manufacturing company might really get into the weeds about manufacturing components versus assembling them and exactly where the optimal point is, but it can also be as easy as saying that 3M makes better post-it notes than we could, so we'll just buy them. And that frees up their resources to do whatever their niche is rather than having separate manufacturing processes for each office supply they use. It can get extremely complicated, but it can also be so simple that it almost seems silly to even discuss it. Regardless of where things lie on the spectrum, it's still a daily process at every company. Now, what does the government manufacture? And I don't mean our government at any particular level. I mean every government at every level. They manufacture bureaucracy. Departments don't get smaller. They don't fix inefficiencies because they don't have to because there's always money in the banana stand. They don't fix the problems assigned to their department because if they did, the departments wouldn't exist anymore. Whether it's putting braille on motorized vehicles, parcel delivery, broadcasting propaganda, or giving people water that doesn't smell like a wombat's asshole, they're just not built to manufacture results. And if a reasonable person was in charge of getting results in the government, they would buy them rather than make them in-house. Just like Vice Admiral Norman Vance, the government ruins everything it touches. Well, folks, that's the show this week. As always, thanks for tuning in. I've got a lot of ideas simmering already, but if there's a topic you think would make a good segment in a future episode, come find me on Twitter at 222 Minutes and let me know. I'd love to hear what your 222 cents is.